this is Steve Balton, and you are here on My Turning Point. Man, this week we have something so great for you. A few months ago, I got to sit down with true legend Jeff Lynn of ELO to talk about songwriting, producing, everything you would want to sit down and talk to Jeff Lynn about. I mean, this is one of the all-time greats in music. What a freaking joy to sit down and talk about this with him. Hope you enjoy this conversation half as much as we did. Thanks. I find it fascinating because you find when you look back, those things stay through your work sort of permanently. So is there one that comes to mind for you, a turning point moment? And some people go very personal on it. Some people go professional either way. That's a really, I've never even thought of that. So it's going to take it out there for the penny to drop. I think the only way I can describe it is that I, I made an album called Long Wave, which is all old ones and, you know, strange ones, some of them. And that was because of my dad, really. You know, I, I wanted to learn how, how he's, the, song, the songs he listened to when I was a kid, how they really worked, because I couldn't figure out how to play them until I managed to isolate the, the rhythm track just by concentration. There was no other way to separate it. And once I learned the chords, they were so simple. They were just as simple as all the tunes of everybody's, you know, like the Beatles or anybody. Um, all the, you know, all the best groups, it's all really quite simple. There's nothing to get alarmed about. But um, when I did that, that's when I went back to realizing that I was, already doing that, what I, what I didn't know I was doing. I was using chords very similar to Richard Rogers. I, I don't mean to make it sound <laughs> such a, <laughs> such a ch- cheeky bugger. But no, it's kind of, you know, yeah. he uses A, a to F sharp minor as well, but so, so do I. <laughs> but it's, it's interesting because when you were doing that, did you find that you were surprised to, that you were doing that? And it's funny because only when you would do a project like that, again, most writing, especially as I talk about with people all the time, is a subconscious thing. It's a very subconscious thing. So until you go back and look at someone else's work, for example, yeah. you probably weren't analyzing your own. So as you do that, and then we can tie that in with From Out of Nowhere, because I'm sure when you did that, it did affect your writing going forward. Yeah. It's, I try to make uh, From Out of Nowhere a, quite a positive move for me. Because, um, you know, I've done a few gloomy ones in the past. <laughs> and yeah, so has everybody. I used to like it because Del Shannon was always, you know, crying about somebody. Roy was always crying about somebody. Roy Orbison. And, um, oh, when you say Roy, I know, yeah. Yeah, I know, you know. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, it's it's just one of those things that I got into that kind of thing because I learned up then from when I was a kid, you know, listening to the radio. And it's just like, uh, I, I sort of discovered that, what, it's what you said, I, I discovered that what I was doing was already like what they were doing, only not as good. <laughs> <laughs> Well, first of all, some people would argue that, that it's not as good. Second of all, it's, in- kidding, yeah. it's interesting, though, when you go back then and, and see that. It's funny. I mean, for this record, you know, in particular then, because as you say, you tried to make a positive record. But at the same time, as we talked about, I, I really do believe that most writing is subconscious. 
you know, and for example, I saw that where you said the title from out of nowhere came because that's just how it came. So it's interesting as you've gone back and looked at it, are there moments that particularly surprise you and maybe how positive they are? And it's funny because, you know, I mean, as I'm walking over here and we're in the NPR building, you know, and I'm looking on my social media feed at the impeachment hearings and it's like, it's an, it's an interesting time to make such a positive record because it's, I, it becomes even more necessary, I believe. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I was trying not even to think about what was going on. I really was, because I don't want to get involved in that, any politics or anything like that. Um, I like it just to be my music, and, and that's it, and that's about as deep as it goes. Does it sound good? Does it rhyme? <laughs> try, and, try and do it as good as I can, but not really trying to give messages out or anything, but just to try and cheer people up a little bit. Well, but it's funny because I think cheering people up does become a message as well. And I think it also becomes a message for you as well. So that's what I was saying. When you go back and listen to it then, are there songs that particularly stand out to you or that surprise you with how optimistic they were? Yes, there are. They, they all do in their own way. I even wrote a happy blues song at the end. <laughs> a jolly blues song. <laughs> you know, when, when my, my songbird came home, as opposed to... My songbird done let me. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it's interesting because we talked about it a couple of years ago too. That the first time we started having these conversations was Classic Rock Honors, which was at the Avalon, and I we talked at that point for Billboard, and you discussed the fact that even when you played the Wembley Arena show or the Wembley Stadium show, you were pleasantly surprised by how positive the response was. Oh yeah, I was and, blown away. And so as you've started touring more, you know, I'm sure you've also that's something that. You know, do you find that that's where some of the positivity and optimism comes from? Is that you simply are enjoying things so much? Yes, I think you're correct in that one. Um, I had so much fun playing at Wembley Stadium that I even made a, a new song all just about that. And uh, that was so much fun to write because it meant I could include the crowd in singing Telephone Line in a <laughs> brand new song. <laughs> Which I thought was funny at the time, and uh, I'm sure they, uh, I'm sure somebody else might one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it's funny because you say you think it's funny. You joke that they might at some point, but I'm sure part of it is for you. It's just a matter of, of getting to this point where it's you know like you're enjoying it more yourself, yeah. and that definitely also connects with the audience. Exactly, and also the the other component to to all this is the band itself. We've got a wonderful band. It's a, it's a 13 piece altogether, which is fantastic to have because you can do more virtually anything with that many people. And the great gear we've got, the, you know, the trillion watt PA system. No. <laughs> <laughs> so are you coming out on 2020? 2020? Yeah, are you coming out on the road? Oh, 2020, the year. Yeah, it's already November. It's already the holidays, so yeah. I know. I've been on tour and then I've been doing all sorts of things and just uh, forgot it was that, yeah. I know. It's all good. And it's funny because, I mean, you know, I know you've been on tour. I, I, I haven't missed a show in a very long time. But is it because, you know, specifically tying it into From Out of Nowhere, I mean, when you think about playing the new songs live, are there ones that, like you say, with that band, you can do almost anything? And, of course, one of the cool things is, too, is that when you play a song live, right, the audience takes it, they interpret it, they make it their own. 
and you can see how they respond to it. So are there particular songs that you're excited to see how they respond to live? Well, when you show, um, it's called the BBC concert, in concert. Uh, it's just only an hour, you play for an hour, and it's, only, it's filmed and it's shown a couple of days later for a month or so. But the main thing is it's recorded up for the radio, that's what the idea is, in the little BBC theatre, which only holds about 350 people. And I, I would have not even thought about that aspect of it, and only because the only reason I did is because we've been playing these giant arenas in, in America, like, you know, between 10 and 20,000 seaters. And it's, we've got used to that now. I've just got used to that. And I, that was like, oh, no. I didn't feel this <laughs> with sound. And uh, of course, going into that little thing, it was very intimate and you could see everybody's face all the way back to the end of the room. And it's been so long since I've seen that. It's been like about to five years of playing, or maybe four years. It's it's come to that that uh, it's a shock to play an intimate place, which is I suppose is good in a way because it means you get to play to more people all the time. Well, it's interesting though. So when you did that show, were there songs from the new album that that? especially because you can see their faces. Yeah. So you can see them singing along. You can see them responding versus like when I saw you at Honda Center this last time or the forum the year before. So as you're looking out on the faces of the 350 people or so, were there new songs that you were particularly interested or that you were surprised to see how they resonated with them? Well, I'll tell you that the one about Wembley, in the time of our life, that, that went down really, really well for the first time hearing, uh, live hearing of it. And uh, actually, so did all, all my love. Went down really well, they both did. Um, so I was, I was pleased to see that, you know, they're going, they went as well as the actual old bangers, as I call them, you know, the old <laughs> And because uh, they've been around the block a few times over the summer. Well, it's funny, and I think that, you know, again, having seen you the last three years, you know, it's even on this show, I appreciated the fact that you did mix in some different songs, I'm sure for you. And it's, I'm sure for you, one, it's very exciting to when you think of touring next, have the new songs to play. But I think one thing that's interesting too, as I talk about with people all the time, when you're sequencing, sequencing a live show is very similar to sequencing a record. You know, and I'm sure there are old songs that you think about how they match up with the new ones, and it kind of invigorates some of them because, again, you have to figure out ways to make telephone line more interesting for you on a nightly basis. Yeah, it's it's always that way when you when you have to bring some new songs into the set. Uh, which ones you're going to give the boot? And because uh, you can't play all night long, you know, you're going to stop something. And uh, so it is. Uh, it's just trial and error, you know, try, let's try that one after it, and you, nah, don't, that's the wrong tempo, wrong key. It's always, key and tempo is, is, is it always, is what it's always about. It's interesting for you, are there shows that you've seen recently or that you've enjoyed or that things that you look at and you think, okay, because I, I think the thing for a musician too, especially for someone like you, is there, you never run out of inspiration, you know? Well, hopefully. <laughs> well, if you run out of inspiration, that's the time to go home. Yeah. You know? So what was the last show you saw as a fan that just blew you away? The last show that I saw as a fan that blew me away. 
Or are there contemporaries, friends of yours that you go see that you are very, you know, impressed with the way that they sort of mix that um, vitality? Yeah, well, I think Tom Petty was, the, was my favorite, probably, in, that, in the performance thing. Um, not only because I, he played a few of my songs as well, and he said, you know, which, well, with, that we wrote together. So that was always good to see that it worked great just for him on the stage, shortly on his own, with all these millions of people shouting and uh, for him. And uh, it was just nice to have him been involved with the creation of those. It's interesting because I saw Petty four, five times in in the last year. Um, at Music Cares Benefit, where we actually spoke there quickly. Yeah. Bottle Rock, Hollywood Bowl, uh, Arroyo Seco. Just, uh, you know, and it was interesting. One of the things about it, that, I, and I wrote about it in Forbes at the time, he was having so much fun up there. Yeah. It was so enjoyable for you as an artist. You know, when you see your friends who are having that much fun, and like you say, doing songs that you're involved in the creation of, does that inspire you, not only musically, but just in the sense of like, all right, I see how much fun he's still having doing this after all these years. Yeah. Kind of. I'd probably go, mm, I can do that. <laughs> not like him. I, I don't mean like him. I mean, I can do it like me. That's not the same thing at all. But um, I did get, I, I didn't get jealous of it, but I just thought, well, I suppose I could, but I'm too lazy or something like that. And then suddenly got this offer to play at this little um, place in Hammersmith in London for children in need. And, uh, that's how I got this band together, and they were such a wonderful band. I I, um, I couldn't bear to let them go because I wanted to do more, and then we started doing more one-off dates and more, uh, and then started touring. You know, and it was amazing. <laughs> and I was, I enjoyed every minute of it for the first few years. You don't always enjoy every minute of it, but it's been pretty amazing. Well, did it also feel new to you after so long? I think that's part of it too, is again, it's like, you know, there is that, when you have a break from something. Yeah, yeah, you yearn for it, I suppose, yeah. So it's funny, now having done it for a few years, do you still feel that same vitality? Probably not quite as much as when we started doing the first few tours. Um, that, was, that was always still, quite amazing seeing all these people and I didn't, I didn't actually believe that all these people were, were going to come up. <laughs> really? And, and uh, sure enough, they did. And I went, wow, I wonder who's paid for all that. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're probably in the room, but you know. <laughs> no. It was wonderful to see that they had come to see us, you know, and we were there. And there they are, Jeff Lindsay, hello. And the place is sold out to the roof, you know. And we got so many awards in America, like from places like, like American Airlines, like a, a, a Bronco Riders buckle, you know, <laughs> diamonds in it and rubies. So where where does that get stored in comparison to all the other trophies? You know, or do do you wear that on occasion? Or, oh, or? I always wear it. I got it on there, but I don't want to take the chances up, you see. <laughs> You know, I think one of the things that's interesting about it, though, too, it's funny, is, um, you know, obviously you've worked continuously, you've written, you've produced with other people, but when you play live, you're playing music, right? And you see an audience response, there's an intimacy, it's like 
I, even when I'm hosting live events, right? When I'm doing an interview, when you're doing a Q&A in front of an audience, it's different because the artist responds to the audience reaction. I mean, that's just part of being, I think, a performer. So for you, what I found is it's interesting. You start to think about it for a writing perspective. Most artists, you know, even if, again, it comes in subconsciously, you think about, okay, how is this song going to do in a room of 20,000 people? You know, did that come into from out of nowhere at all where you start to think about, you can, like you said, with the Wembley, you know, like it's, you know, you had fun with that, but even if it's something where it's like, you know, you're, you're writing a song like All My Love or something like that, do you find that that seeps in there at all? I don't actually th think about the audience when I'm writing a song. I think it'd put me off, if anything, or, or I can't write that and it'd be, there's going to be 20,000 people. <laughs> <laughs> I mustn't write that. No, I think that would tend to make put me off rather than help me. Because, um, you know, what if you suddenly went like, oh, they hate that bit. Okay, throw it away, quick, put another bit in. I, I don't think I would because I'm always focused on the album itself and that's what interests me most of all, is what I can get down on there, you know, and make it, make it move me. And if it moves me by its sentiment or the chords, changes, or the you know the piano parts or the string parts, um, then it's then it's done for me. Uh, I'm going yeah, I, I like that one. But that's interesting. This is what I was getting at earlier when I was asking about moments that surprise. Look, I've talked about this with every artist in the world. Every artist wants to do your best work. Yeah. But as an artist, you can't do your best work. If Coltrane had said, "I can never make anything better than Love Supreme." there's no point in going forward. What happens is you find those happy little moments. Those what Daniel Lanois referred to me as those happy accidents. Yeah. So for you, what are those moments that, that most move you on there, that most you got most excited about? And it's interesting because I look at them, what I find is from talking, they become building blocks. You know, those are the things that you look at going forward. You're like, this is what I want to do going forward. So what were, were there the little moments on this record that you really moved you the most or you felt like as you started making the record, you were like, Okay, this is where I want from out of nowhere to go. Yeah, well, um, there's very deep questions at this time of the morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me see. I, I, I do know exactly what you mean. I don't know how to put it into words, but um, or if if you want to just name specific examples, well. I can't really give you a specific example, but I can say specific things like chord changes, chord sequences. If I can get one of them that just comes naturally without any effort whatsoever, you're just moving your fingers across the keyboard, and there's like three great chords, like four great chords, like in uh, From Out of Nowhere, and that just came from out of nowhere, and it, it really did. Those four chords, and I'm like, oh, that's good. And it, it can be the verse and the chorus and have a bridge in between. Things like that are, are lucky accidents, yeah, happy accidents, if you like. Um, and, but the thing is, it's learning how to recognize them when they do come, and knowing that that's good, instead of just moving on to something else, um, that might have disappeared forever. And it, it probably has many, many times, you know, for me, but uh, I make sure I've always got a little recording device, just in case one of those comes up and it did and it just and it literally came out of nowhere. 
Well, it's funny, and we'll wrap up in a couple of minutes because I don't know how we're doing on time. I just tend to go. But, um, you know, one of the things that's interesting, too, is, is, you know, you say that those moments may have disappeared so much over the years. Look, most artists never, ever, ever go back and like to listen to their own stuff. So, and until they're doing either a greatest hits or a tour, they don't really revisit it. So for you, having had so much time away from some of those older ELO songs, mm -hmm. are there moments in there that pleasantly surprised you or you look back on them and you can almost look back on them from a fan's perspective and then tying it in with the new music mm -hmm. that you can then sort of bring into the writing of From Outer, because you're like, oh shit, that worked. You know, like that was actually, now I can look back at it. Because look, when you write something when you're, especially I talk about this with people all the time, right? You're in the midst of it, it's hard to get perspective on it. And ELO was one of the biggest bands in the entire world. So you're going from show to show to show to show to show around the world. It's not like you're sitting there thinking, oh yeah, I really know why it is that people love Mr. Blue Sky. You know? <laughs> no, it's only 30 I'm years later that you can be like, okay, I get it. I've got it now, Mr. Blue Sky. I mean, I know why they like it now because it's so simple and it's so childlike and anybody can do it. Well, it's, it's funny because that's the one that ties right in. It's funny because you were saying that, you know, in the, in the old days you had written the gloomy stuff. And I, I kind of chuckled inside when you said that because I do argue that Mr. Blue Sky, and also, by the way, the Better Things by the Kinks, and Ray Davies is a world famous curmudgeon, as we know, you know, those might be two of the happiest songs of all time. So even the, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> that's why we just answer it like that, who knows? <laughs> Yeah, so I don't want to get too deep this time of morning, although it's four o'clock here in LA, so it's not, oh, yeah. it's not that, you know. But you may also be jet lagged. When did you get back? Well, oh, jet lagged for like, I don't know, <laughs> six days. I hope it's like wake up at four o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning. Well, so for you, when you go back and uh, you said you get it now with Mr. Blue Sky, but are there other ones that stand out to you that you felt like, okay, I can appreciate that now, or again, you kind of get a different perspective on it? I have got a different perspective on, on, on lots of them. Like Evil Woman, I find is one of my favorites now, even though it's the most simple thing. You, you couldn't get much simpler. And quite a few, like Turn to Stone is very, very simple, but I love playing it, it's my favorite song to play. I just like the chords. The simplicity of them is the best part about it. <laughs> Uh, well, last two questions. It's funny because one of my favorite authors of all time is Raymond Carver, who is, you know, known for his simplicity and was so wonderful at it. And I always think that's such an over, an underrated, sorry, an underrated talent in writing. I mean, I look at a song like In My Life, right? And I feel like that's one of those songs that everybody thinks they can write, but only John Lennon would have ever thought to write it. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful song, yeah. So for you... Is simplicity something that, I think it's also something that as you get older, for everybody, you realize that, okay, you start worrying less about, you know, showing off all that you can do. Yeah, right. And just to pre, you know. And just simplify it all and make it just what it is. A simple little tune. All right, so for you, what's the one simple little tune that you wish you had written? <laughs> um, that's a good one. I would think one of them would have to be Only the Lonely. It's such a clever song, it's so simple, there's only like four chords in it and it sounds like there's hundreds of them. And I, he used to tell me how they recorded him. It was fascinating stuff and well, just in not a room not much bigger than this probably. 
ever so strange in the old RCA building. I've read all about it and I've been now over there to uh, Park Craig's museum down there. And uh, fascinating all them old, old fashioned things, but yeah, I think Anna Lowry probably sums up all the beauty you can have, but such simple chords, there's not even any fancy chords in there, there's nothing. It's just a seven, and they oh, and there's a K on the last. You got a <laughs> for about a mile on a slap echo. Brilliant! Somebody just fed that back just at the right moment in time. That's why I used to think all the time, how do they do this? When I was little, when I, like when it back came out when I was thirteen, I would think, who's the bloke who does it? Puts it all together and makes it into like this beautiful thing. Like uh, the most marvelous thing I've ever heard, and it's it's me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding you. I do my best, but uh, I'll never get near that one. I don't think. That is so funny, though. I mean, it's when you look back on it and you think of you know being that kid who who imagines this you know complex, amazing world making this, yeah. and now you look at it having been part of it and having worked with Roy Orbison and all that. Do you look at it and it's kind of an amazement as to like, oh, okay, it was so much simpler than... I kind of do, yeah. It, it's much simpler than I imagined it would be because I thought the hundreds of people running about and one big boss telling everybody what to do. <laughs> and uh, and it, it seems it wasn't like that at all. Cool, wrap up on From Out of Nowhere. It's funny because like I said, when you're making a record, you know, you're, you're in the midst of it. You don't really get that perspective. It's only when you go back and hear it. So when you go back and hear this finished work, because like you say, you wanted a record that moved you. When you hear the record from start to finish, what do you take from it? And then what do you hope others take from it? Well, I hope they're slightly moved in some way. That somebody worked hard on it, on the production and the, uh, the melody, and especially the chords, the chord sequences. And I like a nice bass part as well. And, uh, I just hope they appreciate the things that go into it, which aren't that complicated at all on their own. But when you how you stick them together is is the complicated bit. Cool. What do you want to add? I didn't ask you about. What's that? Is, is there anything that you want to add? I didn't ask you about. I don't think so. <laughs> I think you you already you've already made me feel. Um, <laughs> I've got no answers left. <laughs> you've done a good job. I, I, I don't know. I once interviewed Ben Harper and he told me afterwards he felt like he had been probed. I didn't feel like that was a good thing, but he said he enjoyed the, you know. I mean, but it's funny because I'm just asking from the perspective of a fan, so. I told you at the beginning that this was something special. I really hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. To sit down with someone like Jeff Lynn, that's a rare opportunity. I haven't gotten to interview him much. I was so excited to get to sit down with him and I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. This is Steve Balton, my turning point, and you've been here with Jeff Lynn. Thanks.
different sizes of businesses. Big business, small business, that awkward growing phase business, the running this thing from my garage business, and the OMG we can't hire fast enough business. Wherever you are in your business journey, HubSpot's powerful but easy-to-use CRM platform grows with you. It lets all of your teams work together seamlessly, whether that's just you and your roommate or colleagues across multiple time zones. Grow better with HubSpot by connecting your people, your customers, and your business. Learn more at HubSpot.com. When you look into Discover Student Loans, what you see might surprise you. We can help cover your college costs, don't charge you fees, and give you cash rewards for good grades. Ready to apply? Visit discoverstudentloans.com. Limitations apply. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 